wow (laughs) just wow to launch the healing the grumpy athletes podcast with this interview is truly special i was joined for a raw honest and reflective conversation with olympic and commonwealth games champion emma fredino knee snowsill emma is one of those people she knew at age seven that she wanted to be an olympic champion and her life and memories have been centered around sport ever since her racing resume is outstanding she's inspired and shaped generations of triathletes including myself her career and life haven't been without challenges but these obstacles and heartbreaks have created a formidable mature insightful very caring and talented woman she is more than an olympic gold medalist triathlete she's a wife to yarn a mother to luca with baby two due any day now she's a mentor a nutrition advocate and more recently, a student of interior design. Emma and I connected a few years ago, and just as I was beginning to research Healing the Grumpy Athlete ebook, I was floored by her relatability. Our experiences with ill health were all too similar, even down to the same label tear in our hip, which was just a little bit bizarre. Emma was pivotal in my journey to coming back to triathlon, growing as a coach and releasing my ebook. We shared empathy for what it feels like to go through adrenal dysfunction, a compromised immune system, gut dysbiosis and hormone imbalance. Emma has very graciously shared this journey on today's podcast. It's a very real an inspiring chat that we've had and I can't wait to hear about what you loved most on today's episode. You've done all the right things. You've followed the program, but you're tired and the results are hard to come by. You know there has to be a better way. Perhaps you're struggling to put the puzzle pieces together from training, recovery, nutrition, gut health, to hormone health and optimal wellness. Each season on Healing Grumpy Athletes podcast, your host, Katie Pettuccini from Holistic Endurance, will help put the puzzle pieces together and ensure you can achieve and express your athletic potential holistically. Katie is a self-confessed hormone nerd, endurance coach, wellness advocate, and triathlete, here to educate, inspire, and distill wisdom in an effort to shift up endurance norms. Grab yourself an almond latte, a herbal tea, or perhaps a red wine to focus your mind Well, guys, I am here finally launching my very first Healing the Grumpy Athlete podcast episode, and I'm very excited to introduce to you my first guest, Emma Fredino, the Snowsill. And uh, Emma, thank you so much for joining me. I am really looking forward to where this conversation could bring both of us, uh, but also the listeners. So thanks again. Oh, very excited to be here and looking forward to where this show takes us. Me too. Uh, You have had an absolutely glowing and super successful career as a triathlete. And it's like in the beginning, it 
you exceeded your own expectations for what was possible without downplaying your talent it just came about well that's from an outsider's perspective for sure and I absolutely loved watching your journey uh, when I was younger and then coming to know you in the last few years and learning about your story there were those years from was it 2009 where the physical health battles started to pile up and become quite hard and you and I have spoken about those similar experiences of being in the depths of fatigue and immunity issues and gut health issues and all those problems that you went through and they're not easy but for me I can't fathom how you coped coming from a background of being at a high level performance racing achievements a full-time athletic career and knowing that you had this very bright athletic future ahead of you to suddenly have your body just say no I'm not going to do this anymore like how did you cope with that whole process yeah I mean I think the first thing is like you said it it was a process and um and and often when you're in the the midst of those um situations you 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 can't um understand the process you can't um, see that there is one you just um, I guess uh, well for one um, perplexed and two you know not really sure knowing where where to turn or why or, or exactly what's um, what's necessarily happened and I think yeah probably like you said first and foremost is um, you know I guess 2008 to 2009 yeah it's only one short year um, and I guess if I really start maybe more towards 2008, that's probably could be a little bit more indi- indicative now when I, um, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but there was also things I knew within myself and things that I didn't listen to about myself um, that, yeah, I guess, you know, that gut instinct we all talk about, um, it really has come to show me that I, I really you know, really need to heed to the advice it's telling me. And, um, you know, for me, 2008 obviously saw me take me to the top of where I wanted to go. Um, But I always had this feeling, this voice um, that in order to go up again, I I needed to also come down. Now, of course, I didn't mean to come down the way I did, Mm. but I needed to, I needed rest and reprieve. I needed... um, to be able to allow myself to wind down and um, you know it's that's one thing that I think in our sport and a lot of people who are you know high achievers um, tend to find very hard to do or to allow themselves to do or to uh, you know accept that that's what they really should do um, and I, I like I knew it from a training point of view and a training perspective you know um, the cycles in your training that you know you sort of you make a little inroad and then sometimes you're sort of going to take a step down or, or back so to speak that you know in order for you to come up again and I just always had this feeling after Beijing that um, I needed to do that and I didn't know a set time or um, or how long that would be but um, at the end of the day I didn't I I didn't listen to myself. I guess I wasn't strong enough in myself, and I listened to some outside voices, um, and and felt the pressure to, you know, probably get back on the horse too early, mm. um, to get back into training, um, 
to, you know, times enough. But I just, I can honestly say that I remember diving in the pool the very first time. It's, this moment is so clear to me. Um, diving in the pool after I'd had a break after, after the Olympics. And even, actually, funnily enough, Dennis Cottrell, the swim coach at the time, obviously coached Grant Hackett and, and many Olympians, said to me before I got there, what am I doing here? You know, like, <laughs> as in, you know, you should be having more time off. And I just gave him the mutterance under my breath, like, oh, don't ask me about it sort of thing. That's another story. We can do that another day. But at the end of the day, I dived in, and you know my first thought, and it's the weirdest feeling and thought to have, is I was like, I'm still too fit. Wow. And that was such a weird feeling because I was like, I knew <laughs> this feels too good. at the end of every season, I needed to come down. I needed to have, you need to feel that level of being unfit. You need to feel that going back to, oh, all right, I've got work to do. You know, I mean, that's, that's where the body needs to be able to regenerate and come up again. And it was so bizarre. And I was like, this is not a good feeling. This is this is a great feeling, but this is not the feeling I should it's be not having right. right now. Yeah, your gut was and telling that you. Was, yeah, 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 you're right. Um, yeah, my, my gut was basically, you know, telling me and reminding me, hey, you didn't listen to yourself. You, you, you're going against the grain already. So um, I've heard you say before that you didn't race for – you didn't feel pressure to race or perform outside of yourself. It was all coming – from you and the standards, was, but so why was this situation different? Why do you think you heeded to that external pressure? Um, it's a good question. Um, yeah, probably, probably out of fear, probably out of fear of, of getting beaten, of, of listening to, you know, well, if I don't, you know, get my act together, you, you know, you're going to be beaten and, um, and, you know, well, you know, what sort of good was it? There was just a bit of negativity around, um, I guess you could say, in my outside circle of okay. um, that I, yeah, should be should be getting, it, it's about time I should be getting back into it sort of thing. And, and of course, as an athlete, you know, um, when you're self-motivated, you don't need that motivation. So it plays into a, a bit of your psyche that, um, you know, you're doing something out of fear, not something out of because I love it and I'm ready to do it again. And and that was something, I guess, that was pretty new to me as well. So, um, yeah, at the end of the day, I guess I guess it really was just listening to those external voices that, mm. that basically voiced to me, you know, there could be this fear of failure. And I thought, well, okay, well, yeah, maybe just not. Just planted even, a seed. Even though I knew, I knew deep down that wasn't the truth, if that... Yep, so I get it's, it. Uh, that's an interesting topic on its own. Yeah, um, I feel like we could talk you know, about that for a few hours. <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah, we could we, we, we could we could we could start off these first five podcasts. We could you know? totally break these down. <laughs> and uh, there was an interview you did, and there was something that stuck out to me. Something you said that I'll repeat back to you. It was something to the effect of. You would, I think you were talking in reference to Beijing in your preparation, and you said, if I could find that 1% that was going to take me where I wanted to go, where I'd never been before, then you were going to do it. Mm-hmm. 
how did that attitude transfer through the healing process when you fell in that health hole of of problems after 2009 yeah i mean i i got to a point where i i remember in my head just this I was like, you know what? I, I don't even want to. I don't even need to think about being an athlete anymore. I I need. I want to be a normal, healthy person. Like, that's my first goal. That's how far down I was. That's how long health... did it take you to get to that point? How long did it take from when I was sick until to get down to that lowest point? Yeah, yeah. Well, from from what what we could establish is that. Uh, Contracting a virus in the October of um, October of two thousand and nine. Um, I guess probably not until around the February. Well, you know what? No, you know what? It, it, there was a lot of waves. I, I over the next four years, yeah. uh, that was something I had to work towards. But my worst period in terms of fatigue only and, and immune suppression i guess you could say um at, at, at the most acute sense was probably a um a five month window four to five month window yeah but the the repercussions of of not um again probably getting back too soon having those glimpses of hope it, it extended out to four years yeah it's amazing and and, and ultimately ended my career because i um yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but at the end of the day, I, I did everything, like you said, that trying to find those 1% in the end to get better when I decided that, you know what, at the end of the day, I, I, I need a life back. I need to be a normal, healthy, functioning human being. If I can be an athlete, that, that, that'll be a second thought. Um, and, and, yeah, and, and my investigative matters basically... That's where that's where it took me. Um, I, I tried to, to turn over every stone in terms of finding a way to get back to being that person. Did you um, have to self-advocate a lot through that process? Did I self-advocate? Yeah. Or did you have a team working with you to find those puzzle pieces and solve the puzzle of your yeah. health? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was very fortunate. I had a, 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 a doctor, a naturopath. She... she, she practice both um she obviously preferred to practice natural medicine but obviously was a doctor and so um could get blood tests and, and do everything else that i needed so i i found um someone like her to be to be the best best sort of thing for me um because we could investigate and try any and every avenue from a holistic way and if if that unfortunately as she said at times this this is this is just not going to work like we're going to have to go down this route um, then I was, I was like, well, I have to, do, I have to trust in that, and um, you know, I, I believed in her that that was she was doing what, you know, it was in the same belief system as me that that's what we needed to do. And um, but again, it, it, unfortunately, it, it, it is also a little bit of trial and error to to a degree. Um, you know, she can she can say this is the way it should be, but at the end of the day, you know, every, every single person is different, and. Um, and we just had to go about it, you know, a bit of a sense of um, process of elimination, I guess, in the beginning, first trying to establish what I had um, and addressing that and then um, trying to heal that. 
Yeah, you did a, a great interview with Steph, Steph Hansen on Wits Up, and I will link listeners to that interview that goes into the details of everything that you tested for and the diagnosis and, and the health battles in general, so you don't have to, to, to rehash that um, too much. But it must have been very disheartening, and that, I hate that this is the case for, for you, but I'm excited for you to be able to share this story and this journey because it is so common uh, amongst athletes, endurance athletes and general population. I think to hear your journey is very insightful and can also provide people with a lot of perspective, which is, yeah, why I wanted to open up this platform and, and show people that even the strongest, toughest, most resilient people uh, can falter. And we, we can be susceptible to burnout and, and immune suppression like you went through. Well, I think the thing is, like, if anything, you'd think we're at an advantage because we, we know ourselves so well and, and we're so, one, um, I guess, acutely aware of, of how we feel. Um, I think that's a bit of a gift of athletes. If you have that ability to tune into, probably be over the general lay person. Um, but maybe a bit of the problem lies in the fact that we're not so good at listening to it and we want to always try to push on and push through and, and, and be tougher, stronger, and I can and get over this. And, and yes, yes, that, that mental attitude works great in training sessions. When, when your body's fine and fit, you can, you can overcome things that will completely surprise you, but, um, when it comes to your health or those gut feelings that you know something's not right within yourself, that's where I think that's actually becomes to our detriment. That's where we start going, oh, oh am I being a hypochondriac? <laughs> or, oh, you know, should I? You know what I mean? I'm like, at the end of the day, nobody's walking or running in your shoes to know. And if you feel there's a problem, I, for me, I was always like that. I was always prevention is better than cure. And I mean, it's still, you know, that still doesn't mean it's unavoidable. But at the end of the day, I, I just think, you know, we, we've got one massive plus, but we've also got this little bit of a downside in the fact that we, we think that we should be, you know, better or bigger or able to overcome it. And, and sometimes that's just not the case. We're still human beings. Yeah, that's so important to note. And I remember thinking... Uh, when we first spoke a couple of years ago, obviously I was just so excited to chat to Emma Snowsill, but to hear your story, it was it, it did really ground me at the time because, of course, for professional athletes and successful athletes like yourself, we look up to you, and I, I'd be like, no, not possible. You, you, you couldn't um, be susceptible to that sort of burnout and an injury and and, an illness also because I knew that you did value holistic medicine and nutrition and you still do um it was hard to wrap my head around because it's like I just believe probably like you did too that you were somewhat invincible (laughs) and I I think think we all do yeah, yeah yeah I've certainly been there that's for sure (laughs) and I don't like the word regret and I don't believe in regrets it's all lessons but now that you know so much more about you and your body and your experiences you've studied nutrition and done so much research 
what would you do differently, if anything, either during your professional career or during the, the say, that four-year phase of trying to find your health again? I think, yeah, first and foremost is, is going back to listening to myself 100%. Um, knowing myself enough, having that confidence in myself enough, in, enough to have said, no, no, you know what, I, I'm, I'm not going to buy into this. Um, this is what I need. And and, and, and that, that goes for anybody that, you know, has come to the end of the season or, um, yeah, halfway through the season and just is like, you know what, I'm, I'm just, I'm pushing too much uphill this doesn't feel like it should and, and that's not to say that it's always going to come easy but you do you just do know within yourself I think at times when things aren't 100 percent and for me it would have been yeah hindsight would have been not caving into that um to to listening to those um to that inner voice of my own and um you know I I, I personally don't think once I can the virus there was really much else more I could probably surprise you to think that you know to walk to the pool or 300 meters from my house and swim 2k which took me probably an hour with fins on would people would believe me wow um, you know that that that's that that took up so much energy that I had to go home and sleep for three hours on top of the 14, I would have slept the night before. How? So I think, mm -hmm. you know, to, to, to say if there was anything more I could have done in those times, yeah, maybe I could have done, when I had those glimpses, maybe I should have done even less. But, you know, when you, the, the biggest thing is probably, I would say, is comparing, trying not to compare. I mean, that was just, I guess, um, like I said before, there's no somewhat protocol or, um, method to follow when you're in those places because you get a glimmer of like oh I've got to, I, I could maybe I could go to the pool maybe maybe today is the, the turning point maybe today I'm going to turn that corner and and be able to do it but um and yeah of course I did slowly over time but it was just so much trial and error of um you know I couldn't do anything again for three days and then eventually weeks later maybe I couldn't do anything for two days and you know, I, I guess the body does heal, but maybe if I just said, uh, just completely surrendered and said, you know what, until I'm ready to, to, you know, walk down the street and get through a day without needing a three-hour nap, then that's my sign. But, um, yeah, nature of the beast is that, you know, he, he would take into account the energy that they had extended, you know, at school and through studying and, Okay, you're back. So you were saying Dennis really respected that additional life stress of something going on in someone's life and adjusted their training accordingly. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, yes. And, yeah. That, and that, really, that really established to me that, you know, stress um, on, on all levels, you know, whether it's at school or from work or from um, – from your, you know your commitments as a family person, um, they all all take away energetically on, on some level. And if you're a, you know if you're an endurance athlete, well obviously energy is extremely precious. And um, and I think you know that that, that 
that you can't compare yourself to the person swimming in the lane with you. Uh, you. You don't know how much sleep they had or how stressful their day at work was or how, you know, there's just too many factors. And I, I think the biggest thing is is, is to, to not compare and, and to speak up and say, no, you know what, I, I only got five hours sleep because I was studying until, you know, midnight last night and here I am at 5 a.m. at swim training. Um, I'm doing a little yeah, dance in yeah. my chair. That was like that is such an important point and a great way to articulate it. And I use the term n equals one. We are our own experiment, and mm-hmm. I think there's a difference between competition and comparison. And if we can create that definition to have less comparison, but use the the fuel of competition say in the pool and the person in the lane next to you when needed but not a hundred percent of the time then that's gold absolutely i mean that was that was what i used on the start line all the time because at the end of the day you know uh, race time race day 10 a.m there's there's no there's no reasons there's no it, it doesn't matter what anyone and everyone else has done you have no idea how anyone else's training's gone it doesn't matter, you know, whether you think you know or not. You don't know. You know, you're on the start line against everybody else, so there's no point comparing. You've just got to go and do what only you can do, and and that comes down to the training and the day to day. That's how you approached racing, wasn't it? You just went out yeah. there to see what your body could do on that given day, irrespective of what everyone else was doing. Exactly. I had no idea, mm. uh, and. and and, and there's, there's no time to find out, you know, like, <laughs> it's just, it's, at the end of the day, it becomes irrelevant because I can only take care of myself out there. I think it's a great way to approach it. And I think age groupers and professionals alike can learn a lot from that message to worry less about everyone else, focus on themselves, set themselves up for the opportunity to express their potential on that given day, whether it's a race or training, based on current stresses, fatigue, sleep, and all those things you mentioned in mind. So it might be, okay, well, today I didn't feel so great on a run, but I know why, and that's okay. And then the following week, get eight hours sleep, feel better on the run, make up for it. And that's the only comparison I think that can be valuable for an athlete the external stimulus of the runner next to them is irrelevant to me. <laughs> but it's hard yeah, to get that I, through to athletes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I think, um, I, I mean, I, I totally understand the social aspect of, of people training together and in groups and um, and those sorts of scenarios. But personally, I that was a really big reason why I didn't like to train really with many other people or, and predominantly you know, on my own or, or someone that I knew very well because I guess it came down to a point where I was like, I know what I've got to do today. I know what my session entails. I know what I need to do and I need to hit. And I could be having a great day, but the person next to me could be having an even better day. Well, what, do I want to walk away going, well, that was still pretty crap, yet it was the best session I've had? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, you can just waste so much precious energy Um away from what you physically already put out that I think well you know unless you're one of these people that can just completely walk away from the session uh, and, and forget about it and take in what you need to take in 
it becomes you just you just drain yourself so quickly and I think if you're in those um, scenarios the the biggest thing you can do is just like you said just stop the comparison it it, it, it only ruins you yeah, um, it's much easier said than done, but all someone can do is start uh, to focus inward uh, on themselves and, and worry less about others, as comparison is definitely the, the thief of joy. Mm-hmm. So coming back to your journey of exploring health, and you had that four years of toing and froing and investigating and three steps forward and a couple back, What led to that final decision to officially uh, retire as an athlete, professional athlete? I, I guess that sentence in my head just rang true as to, um, you know, I've, I've been doing, you know, the last four years, I guess I've just been repeating the same things, so to speak, to, in, to some degree. Um, you know, am I just beating my head up against the same wall? Um, and I think I just remember going, you know what, something has to change. And I think four years is a pretty long time to ask my body to change. Um, yeah, you could say I was frustrated many times throughout that um, period. But at the end of the day, I just had to ask myself, well, there's only one thing left to change. Do I have to take away this pressure of trying to be an athlete? Do yeah. I just have to fo- solely focus and remove myself and say, no, you know what, I've, I've got to focus on just be getting back to me. I've just got to be back to a normal, healthy, functioning human being. I just want to be, you know, who I know I can be. And, and if that's an athlete, wonderful. If it's not, so be it. That's also wonderful. Yeah, I mean, retiring from professional sport can be an incredible opportunity to explore new things which you've done and I can't wait to get into that but and also to continue to redefine who you are but did, was it hard to adjust or was it this massive weight off your shoulders and you just like flowed into it no no it's it, and 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 I would say you know it's been the hardest thing to adjust to mm. um it it was not the way I wanted to end my career I mean any athlete for a start will tell you they want to end on a high and um, of course, that's also um, not always feasible, and not always in you know um, the way the way you start it all pans out either. Um, but I certainly didn't want to retire in that fashion. Or I, I guess at the end of the day, I wanted to retire on my own terms. I wanted to say, you know what, I'm, I've I've done what I want to do. I've I've achieved whatever I wanted to achieve. I'm happy to walk away, and like you said, walk into a new career and um explore my life on the other side of sport where whereas i felt yeah i felt like i'd I'd forced myself essentially and my body into a place where i didn't really give it much more of a choice and it was still very very tired and fatigued and a very fuzzy brain and and i i really didn't feel like um you know i knew where or what to do um, other than that decision, you know, seemed to be the only decision left to make. And it was something I struggled with, yeah, for many years and and probably only in the last, probably only in the last, I would, I would couple, probably less that I've 
feel like that I've finally come to peace with the fact that you know that's just that's just not my life anymore like that part mm-hmm. of my life is is I, I loved it and I and I you know I did everything I w- wanted and could have in the time that I got um, could I would I have wanted to do more absolutely but I don't hold on to that as much anymore as I used to that's a beautiful thing to hear and a beautiful word peace to use uh, to describe that experience and I'm I don't think you've said that before, not in conversation with me. So that's beautiful to hear. And I'm so glad you've reached that point. What do you think has been the greatest thing you've learned about you since that transition period of um, leaving professional sport? That it's okay to be me. Hmm. Um, That's beautiful. I think the the biggest thing is... um, I said I distinctly recall sitting watching the Olympics um, as a seven-year-old and and knowing that I wanted to go to the Olympics. I wanted to do sport. Um, I didn't know anything about how or how you go about it. I, it was just it was always what I knew what I wanted to do, and I spent every bit of joy joyous memory I can ever think of training you know that's what I loved I loved going swimming training I loved competitions when I found triathlon I found that I felt exactly the same I never thought of about really many points of of what else would I rather be doing um so to to remove yourself from that and be um completely only identifiable with that life and that person um, I think the hardest thing was is just trying to establish, you know, who am I without that athlete identity, mm. um, and that you know, that, that 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 that's probably the biggest thing I would have to say is is just trying to um, you know find out more about myself as to who else and what else do I want to do, you know, like who else am I and what else would I like to do outside of sport? I mean, I still love sport and there's still a, a competitive side to me. Um, but, you know, I, I, I have to acknowledge that, you know, that, that, you know, that time moves on and that I want to find other things to do in my life. And I think that's the biggest thing is just, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's slowly letting go of um, only who you think that person is because there's a lot more to that person than just that athlete, um, athlete name tag. Yeah, and uh, your life and you is very multifaceted now and was back then too, even if you may not have identified, but you're a, you're a wife, you're a daughter, you're a sister, you're a mum now and you've gone on to study nutrition and then you, what, what, the latest one you're also studying interior design so tell us about all those different roles and facets of yourself that you've explored yeah i mean i've, I've always had a very strong interest in health and healthy eating and of course um through my journey with health i guess i even in my career like i mentioned you know i was always a big prevention is better than cure so i I was always very aware of looking after myself, um, and and I I enjoy feeling at optimal health. So, 
Um, I guess, you know, I've, I've looked at many ways and how to explore that and that it's, um, you know, it's not just about exercising, that it's, um, it's so multi, it's so multi-dimensional. It's, it's a, yes, of course, also about the food we eat, but it's also about how we think. Um, it's about how else and who else we are and how we apply ourselves. Um, like you said, you know, that I'm not just that athlete and, and identifying with other parts of myself and, and, and allowing myself to actually be that person. And, and that, and that all takes a lot of time, a lot of process. Um, and then I think the, the other thing is, um, is also, yeah, just finding, finding, well, or I guess now pursuing interests that I've also always had, but maybe also being quite afraid to explore too. And, and yes, the interior design um, is something that, you know, kept me up at night, you know, thinking about and worrying about. And I thought, well, if it scares me enough, then maybe I better do it. So great attitude. Um, yeah, I think it just, it was one of those things that there was lots of things that, um, you know, that I thought about maybe I should do, could do. Um, but I just felt like, yeah, I feel like I, I just had to step completely out of my comfort zone and be completely challenged um, in in a way of, you know, <laughs> studying for a start, which I hadn't in a very long time. Um, but, yeah, just, just, just completely learning new subjects and topics and, and, and somewhat living in a different world, so to speak, and, and exploring maybe a, a creative side of myself that, yeah, maybe I thought I had, but I, I'm, I'm interested to see what else is there. And, um, and it's a part that I'm really enjoying. That's really cool. And I think that is a, a great message for particularly age group athletes that I feel it's important to have hobbies outside of triathlon and not let it be your everything uh, to fire up those parts of your brain, the creative sides, whether it's drawing, painting, creative, interior design, uh, music, and things that that provide an outlet for that yin and yang because triathlon is pretty full on or endurance sport is pretty full on and so is the culture and the people around it. And there needs to be that switch off mode i think even more so for those that next generation of professional athletes coming through junior ranks to for them to have i hate the word balance these days but (laughs) to have pieces of the pie outside of triathlon that's a great word yes (laughs) yeah it's like you know because it is. I mean, you can say you can try and balance everything, but at the end of the day, we'd never do. Mm. We never get everything, you know, we never get all our powers of water all, you know, where one's not tipping out the other. And, you know, you've got to find a way to just somehow at times be able to work a way to, you know, get everything working together. Because, yeah, I think it's, it's super hard to balance everything. And, and like you said, it reminded me, and I'm like, yeah, throughout my whole career, whenever I had my off season and my, you know, any opportunity, I was always like renovating and ah, you know, looking at design and, and things like that. So it's sort of always been there. And, and I agree with you. It's something that's really, really important to have that ability to switch off um, and, and look at something else. 
Yeah, I, uh, my staff member Jackie, coach that works at Holistic Endurance, was sending me Insta stories of her little boy playing Lego. And I was like, oh, I love Lego. It's brilliant. And I'd been having a conversation just that morning about how I'd been struggling with switching off and mindfulness. And immediately both girls on my team were like, right, you need to go buy some Lego. <laughs> And so here I am, so grown-up adult playing Lego, and it's a great way to do that mindfulness without sitting in a corner burning incense and crossing my legs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 that's what it takes, I think. I mean, I found the same. Like, you know, if anyone asked me to do some drawing, I'd be like, "You've got to be kidding yourself!" Like, yeah. I, for one, I can't draw, and two, but you know like just learning to draw in this course I'm like I I can kind of see how it gets kind of addictive that people want to keep doing this and and you do you 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 just you can switch off it's it's seriously crazy like all of a sudden you're like oh where'd that hour go yeah um and and I I didn't think about all these other things and you know I was working on an assignment sure but um (laughs) you know at the end of the day I I it, it, it is I think it's really important um, I want to digress from Lego and drawing <laughs> and shout about a, a topic I know we're both passionate about is the health of uh, athletes coming through the next generation and juniors. Mm-hmm. And particularly female athletes and hormone health and how we can open up that conversation a little bit more to ensure that their careers are full of longevity and at the end of their uh, endurance or professional or athletic careers that they have a state of hormone balance and they don't have struggles with uh, say fertility or just general health mm-hmm. when you were coming up the ranks was hormones and menstrual cycles and periods and all those things ever discussed or a topic at hand at all no. Never. You would only get asked that if you were seeing the doctor. Yeah. But it was never, it was only do you get a cycle or don't you, basically. Or, yeah. Um, and, and that was really the extent of it. And for those that are new to, I guess, the, the podcast and holistic endurance, I wrote an ebook called Healing Grumpy Athletes that goes into the, the science behind why we need to respect menstrual cycles for athletes and the impact it can have on health. But also when someone's got a healthy menstrual cycle, it means that they can fulfill optimal performance as well. So for, for you personally, did you, upon reflection, it would only be in hindsight, see those hormonal changes impacting you at all? Well, the thing was, I guess because I was so unaware of, I guess you could say now, long-term effects, Yeah. Um, more than anything, um, I didn't have to deal with it because uh, it was never discussed in in the sense that, you know, I didn't have a cycle and it was just basically considered, well, you're training hard, that's normal. Yeah. Um, so it was never a, a, a topic and let's work towards, you know, no, actually, that's not normal. Um, you should have a cycle and first of all, we'll work towards getting that back and then A, having, well, then A, then the next step is having someone to you know train and help help coach you accordingly um you know working with that and i I think that's probably an area that is very um uh, insufficient Mm. 
um, just from my, I would think, my broad knowledge of, 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 what, of the way we coach. Um, but, yeah, 100%, it was, it was just a topic that, you know, I guess that maybe is still the same maybe the attitude is still the same that um oh oh, you know it's sort of one other thing you don't have to think about but long term um if i knew what i knew now yes i would have worked differently towards it because um it does it has a huge impact and and, um and and i you know part of my sickness um my hormones were, were greatly affected even further and, and then that has, you know, also led on to, um, you know, trying to fall pregnant. It was just not as easy as everybody says it is and, and yeah. I know that's greatly related to, you know, to, um, to my hormone health. Yeah, it's not a topic discussed enough and I thank you for bravely opening up that conversation and allowing me to, you know, use this platform because it's such an important topic and I know it's not at the forefront of parents or athletes minds when an athlete is 17 to uh, wonder if they're going to have trouble getting pregnant when they're 35 I get that of course yeah. <laughs> um, and that's totally understandable <laughs> if anything we're trying to prevent them um, from having babies at 17 uh, but there has to be a shift because unfortunately this hormone imbalance and hormone um, dysfunction is becoming all too common in the endurance world but it's not spoken about and we hear about the pregnancies and we hear about the babies but we don't hear about the struggles to get there or the babies that didn't eventuate uh, and I hope that you and I can maybe record another podcast in 10 years and say that things have changed um, because that's an area I feel that our community needs to create a big shift and it comes to coaches, it comes to parents, it comes to athletes advocating for themselves and getting used to the word period and just talking about it. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, um, you know, I think, like you said, it's, um, of course, I think, it, you know, in, in, in the time that I was competing, it's something we've obviously become even more, um, yeah, aware of um, because now we have athletes retiring and facing these problems, yeah. Um, and yeah, because we see the, the long-term effects. Um, but I, I guess yeah, the first thing is, is is just to open up, not feeling uncomfortable about these conversations, um, because from everything that you know, I've since I guess learned, and and again talking to other athletes as well, and. Um, is that you know you can greatly use it to your advantage. It's, it, it's it's part of our it's part of our physical makeup when it's meant to happen. And I think um, the thing is is you can use it for your performance when you need it. And you also need to, um, like we said, you know, one listen to yourself, but also be aware of, of, of when um, you know it, it may not be making you feel the best. But take that into account because. It's the same in your training, you know. You're going to have days where it's up and down and, and you might as well work with your body rather than against it. Um, yeah, if, if you haven't read my ebook, you don't really need to. All you have to do is now just listen to that last sentence that Emma said. <laughs> Respect your hormones, work with them, not fight against them and everything will, will work out fine. Uh, you're exactly right. And uh, it's back to that conversation we had earlier of 
learning to accept the adaptation phase or the recovery phase, whether that's in the off season after key races or if it's in those micro cycles of a, a week off or a, a, a reduced training load for a week. For female athletes, we can utilize the menstrual cycle and hormones to our advantage and time those things together. Uh, and I can't wait to yeah educate more coaches in that arena and for this to become a more a common approach for sure. Uh, because I know um, you now have your beautiful son, Luca. How old is he now? Mm-hmm. He's nearly two. Yes. And He's isn't but hang on. And just a month off two. Pregnant with number two now. Aren't they due on the same day? Is that right? Fairly much. Close to. We've got a window where, where I might have two, two under two for two weeks. Oh, <laughs> wow. That's exciting. <laughs> Uh, so, what you what's know, your due date? Strangely enough, now now that you say that, strangely enough, yeah. If if I could be really precise, it's almost they they are actually essentially due on the same day, two years apart. Because Luca was now early, that, wasn't he? He was what? Was Luca early in the end? Yeah, uh, I, oh, yeah. It, it, honestly, it's it's been pretty crazy this time around to look at it all and be like how is it possible that these two could be born and for someone that had you know really no cycle at all uh, and yeah I'll, I'll, um, yeah I'll be honest in that uh, I was still breastfeeding Luca so of course you know I didn't have a cycle back again for quite some time but I knew um, and I had heard that your hormone health can um, definitely be rebooted after having uh been pregnant and having a baby and um i guess i was surprised to say the least that it happened <laughs> quite as easily as it did second time around considering yeah. how long it took i think that's time. wonderful so, i mean it can't have been easy the first time to go through that stress and you'd already put so much work into your general health just to enjoy life again like you said stepping away from being an athlete your goal was to enjoy life and be happy and healthy you achieve that and you wanted to become parents and then you had another uh, challenge in front of you so I just think it's beautiful that baby number two was a, a surprise without you having to to go down that route again it's just awesome very excited what's your due date due date currently is the 30th of january Uh, so not long at all do you know what i reckon this podcast will come out the week of your due date so (laughs) stay tuned (laughs) very exciting so when luca was born i recall you went to swim squad that day is that right I did in the end. I well, not swim squat as such. I, I did go for a swim, a float, uh, some time in the pool. Um, yes, unfortunately, Luca had to be born by a cesarean section at um, forty weeks because I had placenta previa, and um, and thankfully it was um, we we had to go and and. And do it that way, and and again, that's an, another challenging part of motherhood and becoming a mum and <laughs> and things where you think you are prepared and know know what you want and how you want and how you want it to occur, and um, all of a sudden, um, after thirty nine weeks, uh, 
that's not really the case and uh, you have to get your head around things being completely different. Yeah. But in the end, I did my swim meditation that morning and, um, and yeah, we had Luca um, at full term. So it was, um, it was, yeah, it's exercise is still being extremely important to me, you know, ever since retiring and, and also during pregnancy. Yeah, I so has the exercise uh, been different between pregnancy number one and pregnancy number two, or have you been able to do the same amount? Um, pretty pretty much exactly the same. Um, I you know from from everything I rec- can recall, um, it feels pretty much identical. So yeah, very fortunate in that respect, and I and I know and didn't expect that. It might not be that way, um, but I've, I found, you know, with Luca in the last couple of months, as I am now, it's it's predominantly a lot more swimming, and um, and you know, I just decided, you know, a few weeks ago to stop running because I thought, you know, at the moment it's uncomfortable, or I feel like it's um, just that intuitive you know, decision. Not the way it should feel. Yeah. Um, I, I just said, you know, there's plenty of time to go running afterwards and, and I'll do that when, when my body says it's time to go again. So Very good perspective. It, I, seems, I, it seems you've learned a few things through this process. I'm a changed person. <laughs> you are. <laughs> That's wonderful, wonderful. And it took you a while to find your love of riding again. And have you still got that love of being on the bike again? that I didn't necessarily miss all that much and that was being on my bike um, for long hours. Um, I'm sure many women can say the same at times and think, oh, yeah, sort of a bike seat, no thanks. <laughs> um, and then the, it sort of it started back actually, I, I took up a bit of mountain biking purely out of, of, of throwing myself in the, the Mark Webber challenge and figuring that I, I better learn to ride a mountain bike quick smart. So it evolved from there and then I guess being back in Europe and in Spain um, in the in the time we were always in, in um, yards racing season um, probably especially since we moved to Girona to Spain it was just such a cycling haven like I just couldn't get over it I, I've, I've ridden in so many places around the world and um, and you know been really fortunate but it really just blew me away and I guess the mentality of the, the drivers and stuff was also just so made me feel so much more at ease again and to be on my bike and not stressed and and um, yeah I have to say I, I, I can honestly say that I enjoy cycling more now than I ever did probably when I was racing very happy to hear that um, but you've had a, a bit of a tough week dealing with an incident with uh, yarn on the, the sunny coast this week as well though yeah, it's um, you know, I it, it's not a new topic, I guess. No, um, not at all. I find that when we come back to Australia, um, the mentality of uh, motorists to cyclists is is very different uh, to what it is in Europe, and um, it's escalated over the years. I feel, and um, yeah, unfortunately, it just for Jan, um, yeah, it really peaked, and and he had um. um yeah, he said he's had many close calls, but, but 
something like this. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he was very shaken up. And of course, um, yeah, that, that doesn't um, also put me at ease when he's going out riding um, for the amount of hours that he needs to. And, and um, yeah, I've just decided that, you know, it, it's something that I, it's a, it's, it's been a part of my life. Um, you know, I've, I've seen the re- repercussions of, 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 um, of people losing their life through riding bikes. And, and now is just the time where I, I feel like I, I need to help be a part of, of this change and, um, and just you know, want to yeah, try to create some sort of harmony between, you know, people like us who ride bikes and, and people like me who are in a car and, and, you know, all road users. So, um, fortunately, everything's okay. Um, but I think it's just an opportunity now to really try to hit this subject a little harder on the head and, and, um, and try to hopefully, you know, shift the way we feel about, um, yeah, people in my car and essentially, you know, our sporting heroes that are out on the road and, and at the end of the day, motorists who don't know, you know, who they are or who they might be. Yeah, that must have been um, a very hard day for you and brought back many of memories and you're not alone there. So many of us have lost uh, loved ones to the road or significant crashes and injuries on the road and I, I don't see it as much where I live. I'm fortunate I've chosen it for that reason and uh after a friend of mine was killed uh, locally on beach road i just I, I lost that desire to go anywhere near that part of melbourne riding and that's where most triathletes go but i i explore elsewhere and i love it but yeah occasionally it was last week i had a really bad run in with someone and i feel like there's a a gap in the knowledge that the drivers perhaps have a, an expectation that we're meant to be doing certain things. For example, we were two abreast in the bike lane, absolutely still in the bike lane. She drove up next to us probably 20 centimetres away, wound down a window, had a go and said, you know, you should be single file, it's so unsafe. It's like, um, you you driving that close to us is actually what's unsafe right now. Uh, it felt horrible just to get yelled at for no reason when you're doing nothing wrong. Uh, so I don't know where this expectation yeah. comes that we're not allowed to be too abreast in a bike lane. And, yeah, there's, there's an education or perhaps it's when learners, um, learner drivers go through school, there needs to be better bike education. I'm not sure where the gap is, but I hope, um, I know your voice will, will make a difference. Yeah, I think all, all those points, exactly what you just, just touched on then, um, uh, all things that um, yeah I've brought up and, and discussed as well, and uh, I think it comes from both sides. You know that there has to be a, a level of um, you know I think skill and etiquette that cyclists also need to to become more diligent about and adopt, um, and and ensure that you know that we are always trying to do the right thing, and, and I honestly think most of us do, mm. um, but. I, I agree with you. I think there's a, a, a lack of awareness for motorists who have never been on a bike, who, who don't know what it feels like yeah. to not have review <clears throat> mirrors, to not have a, you know, just slam your foot on, on, on a pedal to, to brake. Um, and and what it feels like, the the fear and the adrenaline that comes over you when, yeah, when a car comes 20 centimetres from you, why are you 
you scared the living daylights <laughs> out of us? Um, why, why we're angry at you? Because that is the difference between life and death in that moment. And yeah, you know, it's a um, human being. Like... You, may, you may drive away thinking, oh, well, that was funny. I was sort of scared then. Well, is it going to be as funny if you're going to jail for the rest of your life? I just feel like people have lost this consciousness about their actions. Yeah, no, and, it blows um, my mind. And that's a big part of it. And uh, I think um, I think that's just where we need to, to humanise life um, again and just be like, um, this is this is this this is not just some you know flinty piece of um, roadworks that you know if you knock it, it's going <laughs> to fall over and bounce back after it's gone into the car. Someone's life. I wish you well uh, with, you know, fighting the good fight and raising that awareness and I'll certainly do whatever I can. Uh, If you're doing any um, more media interviews this week, I'll be sure to to share them. I can't thank you enough for your time today. I'm sure there'll be lots of follow-up questions and we can, you and I can talk for days and hours, particularly when it comes to hormones. So I'm happy to have you back on the show for any topics that listeners would like us to go deeper on because we've really only just scratched the surface and Emma has been incredibly open and honest and I think raw uh, which takes guts. I don't think it's the easiest thing to do. So thank you so much for sharing just part of your journey with us. Well, thank you for having me. I've very much enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, I'd be very interested to hear what anyone else would like to hear because, like you said, we can talk for <laughs> <Wow>. hours. <laughs> yeah, we're proving that one. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, until next time, enjoy the show. Jump onto iTunes, give us a uh, five out of five and share us on social media. Bye.